these transmissions indicate some intelligent life. Let us move in for a closer look. Imagine flying an outdated crop-dusting biplane in World War II in the harsh Russian winter. During the blackness of night, you dodge searchlights, avoid gunfire from more modern fighter planes, and artillery shoots at you from the ground. With exposed cockpits, there is no protection from the elements and frostbite sets in. It's only after you drop your two bombs on the enemy that you can head back to base, but you must find your way without the help of lights. You finally land, cold and tired. Another mission accomplished. But you only have a few minutes to collect yourself before your old plane is ready for another run. Five, ten, even fifteen times a night, you risk your life. Today I have the story of the women known as the Night Witches on the 196th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee Good Sunday morning to you. My name is Jeff, and for the next half hour or so, I'll be your storyteller. If you're new to Coffee with Jeff, I'm Jeff, and I spend about two weeks or so researching a topic that I'm uh, interested in, and then I write it into a story that I hope is entertaining. So the self-isolation continues. You know, it's been about three weeks since I've talked to anybody face-to-face except my wife. Um, It's pretty strange, right? Well, I hope you're all healthy and sane and hope this doesn't last too much longer. Anyway, today's story is about a group of brave women who fought the Germans in World War II. The thing is, I don't use a lot of names. There's a couple reasons for this. The first is that the quotes I use are from a Russian documentary by Gnella Bretsky. It's in Russian and it's subtitled and it's all told through the women who actually were part of the story. The thing is, they're not identified by name. I mean, their names are in the ending credits, but I still don't know who was who. And even if I did, the idea of learning how to pronounce all those Russian names is more than I can handle. And that's the second reason. I mean, I would probably offend a lot of people by attempting such a thing. In fact, I apologize now to any Russian listeners at the way... I pronounced the few names I'm going to attempt to pronounce. So are you ready? Do you have a cup of coffee? Here's the tale of the women known as the Night Witches. On the 22nd of June, 1941, war came to Russia. Hitler's surprise attack results in the deaths of 150,000 Soviet soldiers and civilians in a single week. Luftwaffe bombers destroy most of the Soviet Air Force before its pilots can take to the skies. We went to the front. We really wanted to be there. We asked to be there. It was like a gift. Way back in August of 2015, in the early days of Coffee with Jeff, I did a story about the women's Air Force service pilots. These were female pilots during World War II who wanted to join the Air Force and help fight the enemy. Due to sexism at the time, they were not allowed to fly in combat. When they finally convinced the United States to let them be part of the war effort, they were used to transport newly constructed planes from the factory to where they would be used to fight the war. The Soviet Union had a similar situation. 
they had female pilots who wanted to fight, but unlike the U.S., they were allowed to do so. There were three regiments in the Soviet Air Force staffed completely with women. Today's story is about one of those regiments, a bombing regiment that put so much fear into the German invaders, they were known to the Germans as Hexen or the Night Witches. The tale of the Night Witches starts with a remarkable lady named Marina Raskova. She was born Marina Marlinia on March 28, 1912, to a middle-class family in Moscow. Her father was an opera singer and her mother a schoolteacher. As she grew up, she showed no interest in air travel. Marina's parents wanted her to be a musician, and she wanted to be an opera singer just like her father. She was very strict on herself, and the stress of her drama and singing studies began to get to her, so she gave up music and decided to focus on chemistry. This led to a job as a chemist in a dye factory right after high school. It was at the dye factory she met Sergei Raskova, an engineer whom she married. The couple had a child, Tanya, in 1930. Her interest in flying happened in the 1930s when she took a job at the Aerodynamics Navigation Lab in the Soviet Air Force as a draftswoman. I can't find any information about how she became a pilot, but I can only assume it was while working at the Aerodynamics Lab that led to her interest in airplanes. By the age of 19, she had become the first female navigator in the Air Force and by 1934 was teaching at the Zhukovsky Air Academy. She took to planes so much that in 1935, she divorced her husband to focus full-time on her flying career. Raskova became a hero in Russia, as she set a number of long-distance flying records between 1937 and 1938. Like in the United States, with flyers like Charles Lindbergh and Amelia Earhart, the people of the Soviet Union made their flying heroes into celebrities. One of the most famous flights was known as the Flight of Rodinia. Raskova was the navigator in a converted BD-2 long-range bomber with two other women. The 26-and-a-half-hour flight took place on September 24th and 25th of 1938 and covered a distance of 6,450 kilometers or 4,010 miles. The goal was to set an international woman's record for a straight-line distance flight. Unfortunately, at the end of the journey, they were unable to find the airfield due to poor visibility. Now, I've read different stories to explain Raskova's actions. One says that, as the navigator, she was in an isolated area of the plane with no entrance to the rest of the vehicle, and it was a bad spot for a crash landing, so she decided to bail out. The other was, the plane needed to lighten its load, so after dumping all they could, Raskova parachuted out to give the others a chance to land. But whatever the case, she jumped, forgetting her emergency kit. Once on the ground, she couldn't locate the plane. The other two ladies were able to land successfully, but it took eight days before they were rescued. For Raskova, she survived with no food or water for ten days until she found the plane where the rescue crew was waiting. On September 2, 1938, all three women were decorated with the Hero of the Soviet Union Award the first females ever to receive such an honor. World War II took Russia by surprise when the Germans invaded in what is known as Operation Barboza. Three million German troops, 19 panzer divisions, 3,000 tanks, 2,500 aircraft, and 7,000 artillery pieces poured across a thousand-mile-wide front into Russia. 
As you can imagine, the Russian people didn't take this all that well, and most volunteered to defend the homeland, including many experienced female pilots who wanted to do their part. Now, in the Soviet Union, there were no laws or restrictions preventing women from fighting, yet it seemed that the applications from women were denied or mysteriously delayed. They heard that there were enough men already to handle the fighting. Letters started flooding into the government from women who wanted to help, and these letters made it to the desk of Marina Raskova. Female pilots by the hundreds felt the frustration of not being able to help. Astonishingly, Raskova took her case right to the top, to Soviet leader Joseph Stalin. And even more surprising, Stalin agreed. He ordered the creation of three new air regiments, the 586th Fighter Aviation Regiment, the 587th Bomber Aviation Regiment, and the 558th Night Bomber Regiment. Each of these three regiments were entirely formed of women, from the engineers to the support staff to the pilots. About 400 women were accepted for each regiment, most experienced pilots in their early 20s. They were required to complete four years' worth of training in a matter of months. But before training could start, they were required to change one part of their personal appearance. Each lady sat in a barber chair to have her long locks cut off. With the shortened hair and the hand-me-down uniforms from the male soldiers, which included oversized boots, one recruit said, We didn't recognize ourselves in the mirror. We saw boys there. And continued by saying but we would have worn anything just to get to the front. Another one wrote a letter to home saying, I look like dad as a boy when he was young. To make the boots fit, many stuffed them with material from their bedding. It took a while to get used to walking in such huge boots. While Raskova took command of the 587th Regiment, our story is about the 588th Night Bomber Regiment. The group was formed in February of 1942 under the command of Yaktobia Bershenskia. Of course, there was sexism by their male counterparts. The men would laugh and call them the Skirts Regiment. The planes the 558th were forced to use were old obsolete 1920 crop dusters, the Polykarvov PO-2 biplane. These planes were really outdated and had been previously used as training vehicles. They have been called coffins with wings. The twin cockpit plane was made from canvas pulled over plywood with no protection from the elements. In the freezing cold of the severe Soviet winters, the ladies endured bitter temperatures, wind and frostbite. Sometimes the planes would become so cold that just touching them would rip off bare skin. But the planes had some advantages. They were slow, but the slow speed helped out because they were slower than the idle speed of modern fighter planes. That meant fighters couldn't stay behind them. They might get one shot off before they overtook the biplanes, and the biplanes were able to make a tight turn while the fighters would have to make a huge turn to shoot again. Also, they were able to take off and land almost anywhere. The main disadvantage of these planes was they were highly flammable. Because of the limited capabilities of the plane, they were unable to carry things like radar, guns, and radios, and instead relied on basic tools such as rulers, stopwatches, flashlights, pencils, maps, and compasses. Oh, and one other tool they did without was the parachute. It was thought that these planes could glide down and land if the engines failed, leaving parachutes unnecessary. 
Of course, the problem with that was being made of plywood and canvas. If the plane caught fire, like if they happened to be hit by a tracer bullet, which carried a pyrotechnic charge, it would go up fast. And without a way to bail out, well, you know, not good. It was also that the parachutes were heavy, and by not carrying them, they could carry more bombs. Well, two bombs, because that's all these planes could handle at one time. Their mission was one of bombing the advancing German troops at night to make significant dents in the German front lines. They did this in the cover of night. In the darkness, with two women per plane in open cockpits, a navigator in the back and the pilot in the front, they would fly over the German lines. They would drop their two bombs, turn around, and head back to the airfield. They would make this trip in total darkness. In the summer, they could manage six or seven bombing runs a night, but in the winter, when the nights were longer, they could make ten or more. While it was the pilot's job to fly the plane, it was the navigator's job to get the plane to the target, drop the bombs, and then get them safely home. Sometimes, on the way back, the navigator would take over the controls to give the pilot a rest. The communication between the two was very primitive, just a rubber tube with a megaphone-like earpiece and mouthpiece. Marina Raskova accompanied the troops when they headed for the front and was very much liked by everyone. She would tell them, Girls, you can do anything. Each individual can do whatever she wants to do and has to do. Nothing is impossible. There are no bosses to be afraid of. If we want to accomplish something, we can manage it ourselves. In a letter home, one pilot wrote, I am going to the front as a navigator. If you could feel how wonderful it is to be up there. People say if you've ever tried flying, you'd long for it again, as a drunkard longs for vodka. Now as they flew across the front lines, they would throttle back and the plane would become a glider. They silently closed in on their target. The navigator would drop a flare which would slowly fall with a little parachute. It would light up the terrain, so they would see the right spot to drop their bombs. One pilot said, Your mind was collected. You felt nothing. You had to keep the aircraft steady so the navigator could aim properly. Once the bombs were dropped, the Germans quickly turned on the searchlights and began firing. The searchlights were lethal, one of the women said. They blinded us. When you get into their beams, the enemy immediately aims its anti-aircraft guns at our aircraft, which were caught in the dark of the night sky. A jet of projectiles hurls towards our tiny craft. We swerved this way and that among the beams as the enemy fired. Another said, Your only thought was to do your duty and not get shot down, and to know your position and to avoid the anti-aircraft fire. Our nerves were completely shattered, said one pilot, while another said, People ask, wasn't it horrible? But under circumstances like that, you only survive if you face the horror. You had to be alert, keeping your eye on the instruments, and to not lose height and crash. Germans below, with the planes gliding without engines, would only hear the sound of the air whooshing by as the planes and the bombs headed towards them. They began to imagine it was the sound of witches' broomsticks. They began calling the women Nachhexen, German for the night witches. We flew in sequence, one after another, and during the night we never let them rest, so they called us night witches, said Nanashta Provova, one of the night witches' most famous pilots. 
and the Germans made up stories. They spread the rumor that we had been injected with some unknown chemical that enabled us to see clearly at night. This was nonsense, of course. What we did have were clever, educated, very talented girls. They would run out into the night in their underwear, said another pilot, and they were probably saying, oh, those night witches. Or maybe they call us something worse. We, of course, would have preferred to have been called a night beauties, but whatever, we did our job. It was said that the Germans were so unnerved that many refused to smoke at night for fear the glow of their cigarettes would give them away. And for anyone who brought down a night witch, they would be awarded the Iron Cross, the highest military honor awarded to German soldiers. The night witches learned to work together. If one plane was under the gaze of the searchlights, the other would drop their bombs on the lights, saving the lives of the first crew. Many times they would work in groups of three, the first two planes getting the searchlights' attention while the third silently drops their bombs. They would return to base, sometimes frozen with frostbite. The pilot and the navigator would report to the commander saying, Mission accomplished. But as soon as the plane was refueled and rearmed, they were off again for another run. And arming the planes with its two bombs was hard work for the women, who were called armorers. Two of them would kneel under the wing and pull the explosive up one on each side. Getting it into position, they would attach it. If it was a heavy bomb, it might take three women. And there were times where they just couldn't fly due to rain, snow, or clouds. They would just sit in their plane, waiting, hoping for the weather to change so they could do their job. And keep in mind, all this was done without any protection from the elements. If your aircraft was hit, one pilot said, that was it. You would burn up like a box of matches. And it did happen. The worst was on a summer night in 1943. During one bombing mission, four planes were hit. The other pilots and navigators watched helplessly as eight of their friends burned to death. I saw death creep up on them, but what could I do, one witness wrote. My hands and feet were trembling. It was the first time I'd seen an aircraft in flames. The rest of the missions for that night were canceled, but on the following night, it was business as usual. There were occasions, one night witch officer recalled, when I saw the plane shot down and on fire, and I could look at my little map and calculate who it was burning in the air. It was the most grievous torture I endured in the army during the war, to calculate who was dying. In January of 1943, terrible news hit the camp. They received word that their idol, the one who brought them all together, the hero of the Soviet Union, Marina Raskova, had died. She and her crew had perished when her aircraft crashed while attempting to make a forced landing. When the news arrived, everyone stood up and took their caps off in silence. One of the women said her head was spinning. It cannot be true, she said. Our Major Raskova, 31 years old. The group had 12 commandments that they lived by, and the first was, be proud you're a woman. They would dance in the airfield and sing. Embroidery was a huge pastime for them. One lady called it relaxation for the soul. It made them forget about the horrors for a while. They had parties, sang songs, and read poems. And there were many poets among them. Some even took kittens with them up in the aircraft. Girls are girls, one pilot said. 
When they first joined the Air Force, many thought it wouldn't last very long. But eventually they came to realize that, hey, this was their life now. One of them wrote home saying, Pilots were welcome everywhere, especially if they're girls. Eventually the men who used to poke fun at them began to look at them a little differently. After they were declared a guards regiment, the highest unit award, things began to change. They referred to the women as sisters, some calling them heavenly beings. Even after Russia had been liberated from the Germans, they fought to liberate other countries. They fought for Belarus, Poland, and even the liberation of Germany itself. On May 4, 1945, the night witches flew their last mission about 60 kilometers from Berlin. Soon they were given a parade and they were told that it's over. Germany had surrendered. They were victorious. When they got together for the last time, they agreed to meet on May 2nd and November 8th every year from then on, and they did. Even years later, the women said that they would often think of the war, dream of it, being woke up with nightmares of being shot at, things like that. Those days are not merely something you remember, one said. They're forever present. It seemed to be common within the women who survived that they can still picture those who didn't, those young, beautiful women who gave their lives to save their mother country. We just don't live our own lives. We live for those who died too, one survivor said. Through the course of the war, the regiment accumulated approximately 23,672 sorties in combat, with a total of 28,676 flight hours. They dropped over 3,000 tons of bombs and over 26,000 incendiary shells, damaging or completely destroying 17 river crossings, 9 railways, 2 railway stations, 26 warehouses, 12 fuel depots, 176 armored cars, 86 firing points, and 11 searchlights. And in addition, the unit performed 155 supply drops of food and ammunition to Soviet forces. In total, 261 people served in the regiment, of whom 32 died of various causes. 28 aircraft were written off. 23 personnel from the regiment were awarded the title of Hero of the Soviet Union. Two were awarded the Hero of the Russian Federation, and one was awarded the Hero of Kazakhstan. But after the war, opportunities that were there for the men in the Air Force were not available to the women. In fact, until recently, all three of these women's regiments were pretty much forgotten about. You fly at night. You're flying into fire, and people are shooting at you. The searchlights are looking for you. And all of a sudden, the searchlights hold on one of our planes. The German fighters come at you. You see their rockets, red and green from the heat, and the searchlights keep holding on the burning plane. You want to scream for help, but you know that there is no help. That is a real meaning of fear. A little bit before I go, there were a few stories of individual people I wanted to include in this, like Regina Yagdava, who was killed, or Anashna Popova, who had set the record of 18 bombing missions in one night and lived to be 91 years old. I felt their stories might add a lot to this tale. There just wasn't the time. Maybe someday I'll do their stories. I don't know. Now about the documentary by Ganilla Bretsky. It's available on YouTube in six parts. And like I said, it's told by the women who were actually there. But it's all in Russian with subtitles. It's definitely worth a watch if you're interested in this. It's about an hour, and I'll have a link to part one 
on the show notes for this episode. You know, you can search for images of these women and you'll find many. The thing is, when I was looking at them, I couldn't help but thinking how much they looked like kids, young and innocent. But I guess that's the same for most soldiers to an old man like me, huh? Anyway, how about the ending credits? You've been listening to Coffee with Jeff, a Zeus Brothers Entertainment podcast. Links to all the sources that I used to write today's episode are available at Transistor.fm's Coffee with Jeff page for this episode. You can find a link to it at the Coffee with Jeff website. Remember, I could always use your help with my financial issues. You can do this by contributing to my Patreon page. Just go to coffeewithjeff.com and you can find more information. Another way you can help me is to leave a review on whatever platform you find the show, or you could even tell your friends about it or repost it on social media. You can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is coffeewithjeff, all one word, and I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page, and it would be so great if you would join me there. Your story ideas are always welcome. I want to thank my wife of 35 years for being my wife of 35 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thanks so much. And of course, I want to throw a special shout out to all those that repost this show on social media. You have a special place in my heart. Take care and remain healthy. I'll be back in two weeks. So long.
Thank you.